For October 1st, 2018, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 535, Screen Practice. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out together and talking over the things that interest us. Today, television, the fall TV preview extravaganza. Uh, I'm Matt Rather. I'm here with my good friends, Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. And Mark Lee. How are you? I'm doing good, Matthew. Guys, did either of your houses get TV Guide when you were younger? Because mine did. Yeah, no, sure. TV was the devil. No. Oh, that's interesting. So I, I remember the fall TV. It was like the September issue of Vogue, right? Like, and I guess it was around September as well, the, or August or something, pre-Labor Day. Like the fall TV preview issue of TV Guide when all of these things, like after, after a summer of reruns or like MTV Summer Beach House or whatever it was, right? Like the, the new stuff was on and, and they always like crowned a, a sort of a champion, a most interesting television show by putting someone on the cover of the TV guide and like it was an extra thick issue with like super extra you know remember how TV guide had the glossy pages up front and then the newsprint pages in back I guess that's maybe glorifying it a little more it had the pages that looked like a a newspaper uh, drugstore circular up front and then the pages that were actually like the newsprint itself in the newspaper in back and that was um you know, this small little Reader's Digest size size thing. But it doesn't, of course, like, this is a joke because TV, new TV drops all the time. Though it does seem like both in streaming and in uh, good old, good old fashioned CBS, uh, who, you know, nothing else is going on in that business other than new television show. Well, oh, my God, all the reboots, right? That's the only interesting thing to say about CBS right now. Um, that, uh, you know, that there are, there is a lot of new material material dropping and it uh it might bear discussing because you know we've done we've done the uh, the golden age of television episode we've done the binge watching episode but it is you know i i guess this we are in the afternoon nap after the binge lunch phase uh or as shakespeare says in measure for measure thou hast nor youth nor age but as it were an after dr- dinner sleep dreaming on both. Uh, but quick, uh, a little business before we do that. Uh, Pete, Mark, it is uh, today is the 30th of September. 2018, as we record this, the episode drops tomorrow, the 1st of October. Uh, this is uh, just a day after the 29th of September, the 10th anniversary, the calendar anniversary of the weekly Overthinking It show. We went weekly with episode 13, and we have put out an episode every single frickin' week between then and now. I kind of can't believe that, uh, I kind of can't believe that, that we've done it. So congratulations, guys. It's really, uh, it's really wonderful that this show continues, and I'm very glad to do it with the both of you. Likewise, definitely. It's been an honor. It's my pleasure. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I guess, let, let, me, uh, let, let me just... 
put a little lens on this as a way of do, of doing the 10th anniversary thing without getting maudlin or excessively navel gazy cuz cuz who would want to do that on this show um are there large scale ways uh differences in the way that you consume television content or kind of entertainment content uh now versus 10 10 years ago when we started this show because i think streaming netflix was a thing uh even if it wasn't quite as quite the business that it is now even if it was like um old episodes of charmed or something like that 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 we were streaming so you know i i guess it's bigger but like i i have an idea that there might be like our relationship to it has changed in the last 10 years if only because we're 10 years older and this might be a good um opportunity to reflect on that i don't know pete does that bring up anything for you that you think is worth noting sure so 10 years ago today there is a particular show that I wanted to mention, and it was a candle that burned oh so bright and burned not very long. Uh, I'm not saying it was good, but it was bright. <laughs> um, are you guys familiar with the show Testies? Do you remember this show? This like, show as in like the like testicles? As in uh, the, it was a pun. The, the gonads? <laughs> yes, it was a pun. <laughs> it was it was a show. I think they got the show because they won some sort of contest. I'm not sure. But it was a show about two guys, and every episode they submitted themselves to another psych- uh, another uh, scientific experiment. So they were testees, but they were also testees in that they were dudes who were balls. I don't know. But uh, but they were they were human test subjects at Testico, a product testing facility. And every episode, there was a different product that they were testing of some kind, some sort of experiment, some sort of product they were doing. Uh, and as you might imagine, this show did not have legs. Uh, it, it, it opened in October and it no, finished No, of course it December. didn't have legs. It, it was named after a completely different part of the body. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I watched this show, and there was one reason that I watched this show. And that region was The Shield, right? Which was that uh, it was on FX, and so was The Shield. And this was this this month uh, is is sort of right in the midst of the legendary final season of The Shield, which I still consider to, if not be one of the best seasons of television, have one of the best finales in television. That sort of benchmark that other TV shows have had to risen to. And of course, there have been so many great TV shows since then that some of them have risen to it. But at the time, it just seemed to me to be on uh, its own kind of level, the, the finale of The Shield. And I was so excited to watch The Shield that it was, I think, the one show that I watched live. And so people like to talk about the transition from traditional television to Netflix and Hulu and stuff. But, you know, earlier than that, there was the transition from watching television when it's on to watching DVR, which was a several year long transition. Mark, I see I hear you chime in from that. Did you want to talk about DVR a little bit? Uh, just that, like, uh, after graduating from college in 2004 and, you know, like, getting a place of my own, like, 2005, like, that was a big thing in that household. And I had a roommate who was working in television and advertising, and the DVR was constantly recording crap. Um, and that, that, that it was the game changer, as as we all, uh, as it was made out to be. Um, we watched all sorts of crap, and we watched it all at uh, many different hours of the day. Um, and it was uh, greatly liberating in that way. And I think uh, it allowed me to watch Joe Millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> without without feeling like oh. i had like scheduled my week around of that appointment to watch yeah. Joe millionaire so i well, felt slightly better about it in that era i watched the joe schmo show and i did schedule my week around it because that show was amazing 
But we don't need to go into the Joe Schmo show right now. That's been its own discussion. No, 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 go Joe Schmo show. (laughs) (laughs) The point is that I feel like it's been a a tripartite transition where you go from watching, tuning into television at a specific time to watch a show that you really want to watch and then watching other shows because they're kind of next to it or around it or you have time. Uh, to the DVR era, which is, you know, pre-Netflix and everything, where you're able to record the shows and you can watch the special shows whenever you want, which somewhat decouples the idea of watching other shows with the special shows, right? So you got to go from the the time where, and, and I brought up The Shield because that was like the counterexample. Testes is one of the last shows I remember watching because it was after another show. And I feel like I haven't done that in 10 years since. Testes didn't reward it the one time I did it, that's for sure. Um, but then you go to this thing where, okay, first I had the special shows and then everything else, I watched those on a schedule and everything else was around them. Then I could set the special shows on my own schedule, but every other show was still kind of whenever, right? Um, and, And now it's sort of like, you probably still have your special shows, but, um, and they're, and they're kind of like, it's almost like they're not special as much anymore. It feels to me almost as if the special shows are kind of like the baseline watching as opposed to being like, Oh, I watch TV. I watch TV. I watch TV. Oh, the shield is on. It's now like, okay, I watch better call Saul. Now I watch TV. I watch TV. I watch TV. Right. Like, or or game of Thrones is on. Right. And then uh, I watch, you know, and then it's like, okay, well, what else is on HBO now? Hey, look, it's a Steve Martin movie. I'll watch that or something. Right. Or like, oh, I finished watching stranger things. Now Netflix is going to have me watch, you know, season one of the Tudors. Fair enough. That's a strange recommendation based on the fact the first one had children in it. But like, you know, you, you get what I'm saying, sir. There seems to have been a change in position of the sort of prestige, not even prestige, but the priority show. Like the priority show has gone from being the anchor to your whole TV watching habit to an outlier from your TV watching habit to the sort of baseline of your TV watching habit. And everything else feels like it's kind of on top of that. I don't know if you guys well, have had a similar experience. Everything else is being algorithmically recommended to you. Well, that's true. Which is, which is a whole other thing. And it's kind of related to, you know, this sort of retrospective thing we're talking about here and the, the eras that we've passed through. Um, looking at the timeline of these different streaming services, they were, you know, their genesis came about 2007, 2008, around there. And I bet a lot of us, it didn't really make a huge impact in our viewing habits until we got either a smart TV or like a streaming box like a Roku or an Apple TV. For me, I think that was about six, maybe seven years ago. Actually, before that, I'm a bit of an outlier. I hooked up like an, uh, a full-fledged Mac computer to a TV for the purpose of streaming Netflix. Um, and this was uh, in about nine years ago. Um, and so I was definitely an outlier in that regard, I think for the rest of the mainstream, though, I feel like about six or seven years ago was when we started to uh, get widespread adoption of uh, Internet connected TVs. Uh, Peter, Matt, is that uh, around your timeline as well? Uh, probably. I'm trying to I remember uh. I remember my first experience with streaming TV was probably in around this time. But I was using it to watch old episodes of Highlander, the series on Hulu. Like and on free Hulu, like I didn't pay for it for a yep. long time. I would like yeah, yeah. Well, use it to watch like old episodes of random TV shows. Uh, I don't know, Matt. What do you think? Yeah, I I remember. It's funny. Around ten years ago was just before I moved to LA, and I remember that in my apartment in Connecticut, I had a setup with like I had an Apple TV. 
uh, the old, the first generation hard disk one that I had flashed with a custom, um, uh, custom firmware, or I guess it, it wasn't firmware. It had a, a magnetic drive in it, and it was. Um, so I was running uh, Boxy, which was a fork. Yeah, of, I remember Boxy. Yeah, X, it was a fork of Xbox Media Center. Um, on the Apple TV, and then I actually bought the Boxy Box, which was this weird kind of geometric thing, and I I had that for a while. So I was streaming for that, and then like, uh, um, so so yeah, there were set top boxes, and I was also at the time there were there was such a thing as you know shows falling off of a truck in the back and, and uh, finding their way into your media library somehow, and that was. Uh, I don't know. That was my my introduction to it, and I guess that 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 like that kind of personal bubble of uh, of whatever of 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 media, right? Like where the um, the intentional watching precedes the uh, algorithmic or the the happenstance watching um, happened for me back then earlier. But but um, I was thinking of something even different when I posed the question. I think that I watch more television and media in general alone now. And 10 years ago, maybe owing to the fact that, that we were in our 20s back then, like, and there was more, there was like less work and less family and more kind of like hanging out with friends time and stuff like that. I remember watching things in groups and that being the kind of the modal uh format of you know how of how i watched important things like like getting together parties organized around stuff like that uh, is around episodes and i i don't do that anymore you know the um i just i sort of watch game of thrones by myself um that that was uh that that it was different and and i wonder like i wonder if that reflects as a time of life thing also kind of reflects a similar trajectory in the life of the website that that we all participate in because like the watching of <laughs> the watching of things communally led to the kind of the funny banter among the overthinking it writers who you know after all are a group of friends who hung out in real life a lot i mean in in college we hung out and watched the simpsons and then would bs together for uh for a uh, a while right as we tried to write comedy together and that was uh uh, that was sort of the origin that's the the like the primal the primal scene of it but that like that whole thing doesn't exist for me anymore that like you know if i'm not in my comfy barca lounger i don't even want to know what's on hbo i don't i don't want to see yeah. a steve martin movie i feel like i've had parallel experiences and i know exactly what you're talking about but i've always had a really powerful role for alone tv in my life and I mean, maybe I'm not saying you haven't, um, but I, this occurs to me that I think it was 2010 when a dear family friend of mine passed and I became very depressed. Uh, obviously, very sad. I was depressed is the wrong word. I was grieving. I was grieving for this person that I lost. And I had to, well, I didn't have to, but I chose to get on a bus and go down to New Jersey to go to the funeral. And from when she died, I couldn't sleep. Uh, like at all. I was sort of clutched with grief and anxiety. And I remember I brought with me, there were, there were two things that gave me solace in that time and two things I watched. And both of them were, and it's the kind of thing where if I did it now, it would have been so elegant and easy. But at the time it was ludicrously complicated. I had a portable DVD player 
Nice. Like like that you would buy at an ancient place that the prophets once spoke of called Radio Shack, uh-huh. where which was a wonderful place, which I still use as the standard. Uh, I use Radio Shack, by the way, as a unit of measure for social media. It represents it's about it, it constitutes 50 likes or 50 interactions. It's what you get when you tell people there was a new Radio Shack. There'd be 50 likes. Um, but uh, that's so whenever I get to post something, it's 100 likes. I like, it's two Radio Shacks. But uh, but this little set, this little laptop thing, right? It wasn't even a laptop. Isn't you put it on your lap? You lifted the little screen. You push the button. The thing would come up. You would put the DVD in there, and it would play it on the little screen. And so I had this device, and I brought it with me on the Bolt bus, and I watched just nonstop. It's always sunny in Philadelphia on DVD. I had like five seasons of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia on DVD, and I watched them all during my travels and during those days and nights. And then the other thing I started watching, man, that's dark. I mean, the funny thing was that everything else was so dark that it was very light by comparison. It was very reassuring. I found it very comforting. Um, and then the other thing I was watching, this is when I started getting into watching streaming, not streaming, but video game stuff. Cause I was watching, uh, uh, Magic the Gathering videos online, and at the time, I was watching it on a website called Channel Fireball, which was having a kind of internal conflict about whether they wanted to put their videos on this thing called YouTube that everybody knew about, or whether they wanted to use a proprietary video player that would control their own advertising, <laughs> because they get better ad rates if they use the proprietary player, but you get the better user experience if you use YouTube. And uh, they eventually went with YouTube, but for a while they were kind of struggling back and forth. And so in that time period, I also remember watching a ton of Magic the Gathering videos on the proprietary non-YouTube player that this website that I went to used, which is an interesting, it's, and again, it's like an elided moment in this history of like, everybody goes from watching MASH to watching Stranger Things. There's like a lot of little intermediate steps where things kind of change along the way. I sure. Guess. Flash, yeah. I mean, one, flash video and stuff yep. like that. I mean, one of them was like the brief golden age of the TV DVD box set. Oh right. yeah, I mean, which which enabled all sorts of things, you know, the, which enabled the phenomenon of binge watching before binge watching was a thing online. But like, you know, it wasn't that long ago where a common gift you would give someone was a DVD box set. Um, I mean, I think even like I mean, less than ten years ago, um, I watched was watching you know, like the, one of the few shows that I appointment watched was Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, um, and then received all, all well, there were only three seasons, of it, so it wasn't so many DVDs. Um, received that box set uh, as a gift. One time, um, and you know that was a totally reasonable thing to do. 2018, uh, no, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that'll be practically like a like a like a gag gift, like a white elephant gift. <laughs> we, I still have <laughs> a box set of Darkwing Duck. I haven't watched any of it in the past two years. It's a real <laughs> there, shame. There, there you go. Right? Yeah. Do you remember your fir- my first the first DVD box set I watched, which I think was back in like the early 2000s, was Sports Night. Was the first, and I remember going to a friend's house, and we there was a word for it then, but we binge watched Sports Night. Uh, at, at this guy in this guy's basement, uh, which was such a delightful show, and and I think such a, a sort of herald of things to come. Once they got rid of the laugh track, of course. Yeah, um, but for me, was, I, I think my first DVD box set was Family Guy. Yeah, um, which preceding that was uh, Blinky, and then some other friends as well who uh, found ways to to uh, find the show onto the internet off of a back of a truck, um, and you know we watched that religiously until uh, it presaged other television trends. Right by coming back. From the dead in a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that didn't really advance the creative project. Well, Belinka, uh, that, Belinka, that made it made popular. I mean, Belinky would buy things on eBay, which was, I mean, not only like Asian encoded 
uh, DVDs and like video CDs, which was a format that existed back then, but uh, also just sort of seasons of things that had been burned onto DVD that were, you know, underground or sort of quasi legal. Like I actually, I, for our senior trip in college, when, when we were about to graduate and the whole rest of our graduating class class was going to Myrtle beach to like drink late into the night and uh, you know, I don't know, play beach volleyball during the day or whatever. Right. I, I, got the Sopranos uh, season three on one like a ELP, like extremely long play um, <laughs> video cassette and watched that with, uh, with McNeil and Belinky um, for, you know, for most of, uh, for most of a week. And that, uh, that was what we did instead of having fun with the cool kids. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. But going back to Matt, your question about kind of the social experience and, you know, gravitating to something that's you no know, more solo watching. Um, I mean, just like my personal experience in, involves both of those things, um, at both ends of the spectrum, right? From uh, like YouTube video game uh, uh, videos that I watch on my own to shows that I watch with my just my wife and, my, and, and, and like that's, you know, our TV watching unit, but also Game of Thrones viewing parties of like uppers of 20 people. Who have come yeah. to watch for for the last thing? So that that it's 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 still a thing for sure. But the one uh, common denominator across all these things that is the new social way of watching television is of course social media, right? Twitter and Facebook, where that you know communal experience of us um, getting together, watching The Simpsons, and riff uh, and, and joke with each other about it afterwards has been replaced by this uh, uh, horrible dystopic machine called Twitter.com. Now, um, it's clearly not the same thing, of course, but um, that, that's, that's obviously a part of the equation here that, uh, that we should indulge, right? Yeah, it's interesting because I remember getting on like buses in the 90s and, and just striking up a conversation with somebody on the bus and being like, hey, did you see Frasier? Right. Or did you watch Sports Center this morning? And the answer was usually yes. And then then we go to this idea of like, oh, wow, we now have the possibility to talk to everybody about the shows that we're watching. And then and and so that happens and everybody's like, hey, did you watch this? And did you watch this? This is great. And then we get to sort of the era of the two screens, which a lot of people didn't realize really existed uh, or still exists. Right. The idea that people didn't necessarily just cut their cords. They watch TV while on their phones. And that became a different kind of experience. And then from there, it goes into like, okay, well, there are some shows that are worth talking about and there are other shows that are not. And so this is the sort of golden age of TV where the shows want to be the show that you talk about and they struggle to the top of social media and the top of the critics and and all that stuff uh, until that space becomes so oversaturated with interest because everybody saw this website called Overthinking It wanted to be like it. And uh, for some reason. And so now you have everybody's recapping everything and tweeting about everything to the point where now, you know, I feel like I don't get anything from social media about any TV shows that I watch anymore with maybe like a couple of exceptions. Uh, which I just feel like is an interesting transition, this idea that that there was a time where it was like everybody knows what you're watching. And then it was like, OK, you have to watch what everybody else is watching in order to be part of the conversation to the part where, like, the conversation is happening about everything to now what it feels like to me is like I just maybe it's just that I'm getting old. But it's like I feel totally uh, separated from the conversation about any of these shows from anybody else who's watching them. Uh, maybe it's that I'm not like watching Twitter actively. I just sort of allow it to come into my life when it manages to. Uh, maybe that's it. I don't know. 
But uh, maybe it's that my Facebook feed doesn't really include people watching Ozark, which is good because I'm watching it and I don't want it spoiled. Yeah. But just the fact that Ozark hasn't been spoiled yet. It's crazy, right? right. I should know what happens in the first season of Ozark. Uh, but I don't because nobody has said it in my presence, uh, which is weird, real or virtual. And that's not normal based on what I know from the past 10 years. So I don't know. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's funny. It seems like the fragmentation is incomplete, right? Like that, that we have, you know, the, the idea of the algorithmically driven, you know, super specific niche generated content, right? That, that, uh, you know, and the, as Andy Warhol said, in the future, everyone will watch TV for everyone will watch every TV show for 15 minutes. But the, uh, the, that vision is incomplete. Like it, it exists or it's beginning to exist where there are, are, you know, shows generated for specific audiences or generated by Netflix algorithmically for, you know, whatever, um, whatever niche demographic they're they're looking to address and and keep keep subscribed to to netflix but it's not yet so fragmented that i don't know about it and yet it's fragmented enough that i i hear about it right like because i i feel like i don't know i feel like there are Netflix tentpoles and then kind of minor Netflix things. And I still kind of see the minor Netflix things filter past me, even if they're obviously targeted at demographics uh, different from me. And I mean, Netflix knows me pretty well at this point based on my, uh, based on what I watch. I mean, back to the days, back to the early DVD days, because I was an early adopter of Netflix and I kept that, I kept that uh, DVD of Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai for like 18 months before I watched it. So uh, <laughs> Netflix knows that I, I want to be watching the the classic <laughs> films. There was also there were also sort of several intermediate steps, kind of flash players of television commentary, right? Like Overthinking It was born in an era of TV recap blogs the biggest one that I'm aware of and it got acquired is called Television Without Pity right? And it it capitalized on television being in a transitional state um, as well, where it was kind of moving from moving from the the crappy, um, you know, uh, mass produced, really vapid TV of the seventies to the auteurish. Uh, you know, highly artistic TV of today. And it was in this kind of intermediate phase where it was worthy of being taken seriously, but also uh, fairly ridiculous most of the time. And so the idea of like television without pity was that they would do a kind of overthinking it sort of thing. Well, they would do recaps. They would do just like blow by blows, which was never really what we did uh, on overthinking it in our writing, but like um, they would do blow by blows, but then there would also be kind of snarky commentary because there were aspects of this television that were pretty dumb, you know, and that was uh, it was that that was worthy of ridicule, I guess, uh, or or you know, so so it was thought at the time. It was right. Remember when snark was a thing? <laughs> Remember then that when that was the worst uh, when that was the worst rhetorical sin that you could commit on the internet was like snark and like Jedediah Purdy had to write a book about like the end of irony or something like that. God, those were the days, weren't they? Now, what what are you specifically referring to where they would recap but snark on on uh, television that was in this sort of transition period? 
into this golden or platinum age of television oh, now. Goodness, like, I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember what the what the really big ones were. Like I mean, pre pre Mad Men, like Breaking yeah, Bad. Like I read, I read a lot of yeah pre Mad Men, pre Breaking Bad. I I read a lot of Gossip Girl recaps on this. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 oh, that explains a lot. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, don't this, bond. No, we had years and years of Gossip Girl. Recaps. I know, I know episodes. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> on this on our very website. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny the number when you just think of the, the the sheer accumulated tonnage of your life that you've devoted to something like Gossip Girl. <laughs> you know, it is. Uh, it, it does give you pause. At least it gives me pause when I uh, you watch when you I think read about OC it. recaps. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, and it was that kind of stuff. The OC is a perfect. The OC is a perfect example. Uh, the Gossip Girl gets more auteurish. The sort of the vision of a. Um, the the sort of ridiculousness of that vision, the kind of the constructedness of it, is more complete in uh, in Gossip Girl. The OC is a kind of imperfectly realized version of that, where the OC is still a little bit Melrose Placey, right? In that, like, it's like the the hot comings and goings of hot people doing their hot things except they were you know teenagers and not not 20 and 30 somethings um it was a little beverly hills 90210 ish i guess is the right is the the uh you just say that the oc was a little beverly hills 90210 ish a a little max (laughs) (laughs) fair enough fair enough (laughs) <laughs> better better soundtrack i got i don't know turn it turn it turn it turn it clap clap <laughs> no no, no. I, mean, I just funny because aren't they both set in like roughly the same place although you are the one the master of california geography so you no, would know more Pete, than us. They're, they're not set in the same place at all <laughs> beverly hills <laughs> is in los angeles county smack dab in the middle <laughs> if i were to go to beverly hills from where i am right now i would either go straight up robertson or i could cut <laughs> through beverly wood you know up uh, Damn it, uh what are you doing here <laughs> hey, we're talking about awkward in between faces uh with television eras coming and going i mean you could say that we're still in one now right where most recent emmys that came around right netflix and amazon took home a bunch of awards where at the same time, you know, CBS is still the ratings juggernaut and is making money hand over fist. Although I supposedly that's with a, an older audience that is um, you know, well, not going to be with us as long as the, as the younger audiences, for lack of a better uh, for better, better term. Um, but there you see a, a, a passing of the of the of of eras in a more magnified way, right? With Les Moonves, who um, you know was behind, I think, a lot of that uh, the CBS procedural and you know just like very broad appeal hit making type of things. It was uh, been you know toppled by the Me Too movement and is no longer there. And um, you know I, I assume that the new toppled CBS... by the consequences of his actions. Yes, like yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, and, and when you when you say toppled, let's clarify that you mean he's going to walk away with a nine figure payday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that is what toppling means these days. Yes. Well, At the age of sixty eight, he's going to not work anymore yeah. as a billion, as a bajillionaire. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll, so, I'll have to say right that old model it hasn't been completely um, done in by the the upstarts, the algorithmic upstarts. Um, but you can see uh, very easily see an end game where um, it's you know uh, it, it'll still be around, but it'll be uh, playing second fiddle in some way. Yeah, I gotta say, broadcast TV is awesome. 
I mean, do you guys have an uh, antenna? We went back to antennas. I might have talked oh, about oh, this oh, recently. That's what you mean. Okay. Well, broadcast, yeah. I mean, like, I, I assume, Pete, that what you mean is that the digital picture on broadcast TV is awesome. And that is definitely true because yeah. it's broadcast without a lot of the compression that uh, enables, oh. you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds of cable channels to come over the coaxial cable that comes into your house to come over in, in that pipe, right? Like, broadcast television has a guaranteed... Uh, uh, kind of fatter, kind of fatter pipe of bandwidth that it can come at, and so it looks a lot better. And so, yeah, I like I have an antenna, and I watch things. I'm actually really mostly for this podcast. I watch the Super Bowl and the Oscars on the antenna, and it, they always look so damn good. Because the rest of the time, I'm I'm streaming Netflix. I'm looking at highly compressed uh, digital video that um, you know is coming from from one of the services or that has fallen off the back of a truck. Yeah. So don't grab the highly compressed Netflix. The highly, highly compressed cable television, which, long story short, I, against my will, I got it in my apartment. <laughs> it was forced upon me for free, basically. Um, and when I finally got everything connected and hooked up, um, I was like, wow, this looks like garbage. This is like, <laughs> it's just like you know, YouTube coming in when my internet connection is a little shoddy garbage. Um, but yeah, so Pete, you love, you love broadcast television because it's free? No, because Nightcore's on all the time. It's great. Listen, I after like making Night Court along with Police Academy, one of my, um, you know, one of my like go to references on this podcast, I, uh, I, I happened to look at a se- season of Night Court that fell off the back of a truck and like, it's not everything I remember that it was. <laughs> It falls short, doesn't it? <laughs> it really, really does. Though you know, like a lot of a lot of really charismatic actors uh, and you know reasonably funny people, but just like in the pacing and the storytelling, I definitely had different standards when I was the the you know young child of recently divorced parents and you know looking for some kind of normalcy, some kind of like regularity, and the promise of uh, you know the promise that the 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 good would come to good and the bad would be released for two hundred dollars in time served right <laughs> <laughs> it's it yeah it doesn't doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily hold up but i think a lot of sitcoms from the 80s you could probably say that of yeah it's interesting so, oh go ahead yeah okay awkward in between phases and changing viewing habits right it all comes kind of comes ahead uh in, like my recently acquired cable television also factors in to this um because uh, and and also let's let's talk about the new fall 2018 TV season, right? Fall Good extravaganza, place. TV extravaganza, new TV guide. Uh, Season fall technology. Um, okay, <laughs> Good, well, the Good Place is one of the few uh, shows that is currently on. Uh, that's like a traditional you know, from a traditional network that I watch regularly, and you know I. And um, I caught up with it through digital streaming services, as, uh, as you know, is a very typical pattern these days. Um, season premiere of The Good Place comes on. I'm vaguely aware that it's Thursday, this past Thursday, the 28th, I believe. Um, and I, I missed it that evening. I don't have the DVR thing set up with, with my cable TV. And later that evening, there's this like supreme moment of disorientation and like flipping through multiple devices and multiple applications, trying to see if I can watch it that night. And guess what? I can't. Okay, like I, you know, if I hadn't DVR'd it, um, it's not available on demand either through my cable box or through the NBC app. It's not posted on Hulu yet. I have no idea when it's going to be posted on Hulu. And Hulu within 
the constraints on my Apple TV, it's not telling me when that's going to happen. Uh, likewise, the NBC app for the Apple TV has none of this information. So, um, well, I, I gave up that night and I, uh, Sunday, by the, a few days later, reliably sure enough, it shows up on Hulu. Um, but that to me w- felt like this, well, you know, it, it aired on NBC a couple of hours ago and it's outrageous that I can't stream it right now. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it, uh, am I am I is my outrage misplaced? I mean, no, I share it a lot of the time. I actually watch I might I feel like I'm the only person on Earth who does this, but I watch a lot of my TV off of Google Play um, where I buy seasons of television and I watch them as they come out. Um, and I mean, sometimes old episodes, old seasons, too, but like Better Call Saul, The Americans, uh, when 24 was new. And and the trick with stuff like that is it always comes out the day after. Yeah. And that's just frustrating. At this point, at this point, if I'm willing to pay you cash money to watch your show like tit for tat, quid pro quo, just give me the show. Yeah, it's like, not. It's I, not yeah. that. It's not you. It's the advertisers. Sorry, Pete. You were working no, no, up. No, a, no, you were working up ahead a of steam. But it's not you. It's the advertisers. That first run. I mean, those first run ad dollars, even so, on something like the Americans, right? Like uh, exceed probably by orders of magnitude, or at least an order of magnitude. The kind of the the sum total of what comes in from the streaming services, the license fees paid by your Google Plays and your Amazons. Or uh, sorry, the, the correct plural is Google's Play and. And, and, you know, Amazon and Apple and and all of those services, which are more or less equivalent now in in what they license um, for for purchase of of seasons. Hulu is Hulu is a slightly different story because it has a um, uh, Hulu is a slightly different story because it has uh, first run streaming uh, rather than, you know, first run download or sort of season purchase. Right. So it has first run streaming for a, a month, a monthly fee rather rather than for uh, an a la carte fee. And that's like, and you know, that's interesting. Like the, the, the model Pete that can give you what you want is of course, another uh, $40 a month payment. Right. And it's, it's something along the lines of Hulu live TV or YouTube TV. Uh, that is the Google product. Um, I don't think Apple has one where they actually do your local channels live, uh, streaming to your set top box. Uh, and you, most of those products have DVR things in them so that you can DVR, um, the good place or the Americans or whatever, right. When it airs and, and watch it, watch it either immediately or else immediately after which is absurd if you think like half a second about it right yeah because you have to pay for google to or youtube you know one of the same to like make your own special digital copy of this thing that you can stream uh, which is more or less dictated by uh, by rights and and what's quote-unquote legal to do and not right whereas like why can't they just like have that one copy of it that is immediately streamable everywhere yeah, I which mean, is basically what what a, what a digital native product like HBO Now will do for Game of Thrones at nine o'clock. It's just available to to watch. Yeah, their I mean their their business model is different, right? Yeah. Like all the all the premium cable channels, you're you're paying fifteen bucks a month for that service, whether you're paying it through an over the top box or a, through a cable subscription. So it's it's a slightly different slightly different story but yeah it is i mean it is funny how these things are sort of paid for or at least how they're sold to advertisers is not really caught up with the experience that we want to have and it is one of those things where you're reminded in kind of a pesky way that your entertainment is not there to entertain you Mm. 
Wait, right. but if not that, then what for? It's it's there to sell the advertisers. Oh yeah, it's there to keep you to keep you sitting in one place between. Are, are, uh, are, are you? Matt, what are you trying to say is consume, <laughs> obey. Well, we don't have to get so catat- catastrophic about it and just see it for what it is. I mean, because there's another shift too, right? Which is that you now have the services. So I, I subscribe to these things too often. I, I am currently a subscriber to Showtime because I wanted the Showtime online service because I wanted to watch Sasha Baron Cohen's Who is America? And I haven't even kept up with that, let alone watch Jim Carrey's new show on there. And, and it's like... My understanding is that they put out these big shows which pull people in, the our typical one being the Grand Tour on Amazon Prime, which, you know, has an enormous conversion rate of people watching it and then getting people getting Amazon Prime to watch it, right, as opposed to other TV shows. And then they have to keep you around, right? And it's like <laughs> you have the big show that tries to pull people in, and then you have just like – what do people spend their time watching and what will increase the amount of time that they spend watching the uh, watching your platform? Right. I guess I guess the idea is that they've taken away the clicker. That That's the big that's the sort of big, uh, I guess, what anti-consumer angle about all this is that it's much harder now to switch. While it's easier to switch from one show to the other, it's harder to switch from one distributor to another. It's harder to flick back and forth between Amazon and Netflix than it was to flip back and forth between, like, NBC and Fox, I guess, which means that, like, if they can get you to stay on your platform, that little bit of extra difficulty in switching, which is not much, but, like, a tiny, tiny bit, that's why you get things like Bright, right, which, like, nobody actually wanted to watch. Or like the Cloverfield (laughs) Paradox or something, like, like all this stuff. I don't know. I mean, look, I like Ultimate Beastmaster, and it was great at the beginning, but Ultimate Beastmaster 3 is just going through the motions. Uh, I don't know whether that's particularly relevant to what I just said, but I felt like it was worth throwing that on top of the pile, on top of the pyramid that people scale by climbing ropes. And so on and so forth. Are there are there well, any of these shows like coming coming out now that you are excited for? I mean, I'll I'll throw one on. I watched the new se- I binge watched the new season of BoJack Horseman, uh, yeah. which is a show that I really enjoy. Yeah, I binge watched the new season of uh, American Vandal, which is spectacular, and I loved it. Mm. Um, it's not out yet, but I'm very excited for Man in the High Castle season three, um, which um, in the it's something that's counter to like the. The, what the seasons of television apply, which is a regular schedule, right? The uh, season two came out at the end of 2016, uh, just like just disappeared for 2017. And now it's finally back. And I think in October, 2018, I don't think it's really going to be able to cash out. It's an extremely high concept premise, but um, uh, I'm, I'm in it for, for the Nazis. What can I say? <laughs> I feel like that touches on another dimension of this, which is interesting, which is that, Right now, it definitely feels like everything is kind of floating in the ether because I guess we are not in season, but we've gone through something like 12 different TV distribution models that have like tried to change the way you watch television over the course of the last 10 years. And one of the things that's kind of getting lost is like the schedule by which it comes out because the seasons have gotten so much shorter and now, and the shows have gotten so much less regular with when they put the seasons out. So it's like I, I, I have a sort of anchor in this idea that there was new television and there was old television and the way to watch new television was like a little bit different than the way to watch like exist i say old existing television television that came out at any day yesterday or earlier than that right is different from television that came out like uh today uh, and i guess in the future but now it's like um now it's like I don't even know when the shows are coming out. I don't even know when a season is happening because it's not like the show is on all year round and like, oh, it's off for the summer. It's like the show will have like 10 episodes and then be over. 
and and there's like a season oh better call Saul comes out this time of year game of thrones comes out whenever it decides to right it's just like well maybe that's part well, go ahead yeah hence the algorithmic model that we've been talking about here right you know it's just like being fed to you um because you've got the app open and you try to make it your first destination for the thing that is the most talked about and then the rest just uh gets fed your way because you might be interested in it i mean the alternative is to look at youtube as the dark horse and to say that the real future is just shows that get made every day all the time. Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk about this. If like, yeah. you guys consider YouTube to be part of the quote unquote television watching. Right. I mean, like, you know, we all came of age uh, of a time when like a three minute viral YouTube clip would be passed around and you'd like you'd be sitting at your computer at work and taking a break and, and, and watching it. Um, but we're moving to a, another model. Right. Which is, well, you know, you've got uh, kids on their on watching YouTube on their phones. And like, you know, in, in many cases, YouTube celebrities are um, a bigger deal to them than like a mainstream movie star or television actor. Um, and then you have something like um, like this. uh show about eating buffalo wings and interviewing celebrities uh hot ones <laughs> is what it's called Did it's 20 minutes long no that's a real thing up. it's 20 minutes long it's re- it's i consider it to be television but it's youtube and you know i'm sitting on the couch and i'll i'll flip from like watching the sports ball on espn to watching the good place to then watching my uh buffalo wing interview show which is 20 minutes long on youtube youtube is youtube television to you guys I mean, well, it's, it is in, it is in several different ways. One is that I love Cobra Kai, and I actually subscribe to YouTube Red because right, of it. Right. I attempted to – the night before my wedding, I attempted to watch a different show on YouTube Red, and I watched two episodes of – I think it's called Dallas and Robo, which is an animated buddy comedy starring Kat Dennings from Two Broke Girls and John Cena – who, ironically enough, the one show where you don't see him because he voices a robot, right? Um, and uh, and that show was was very. I mean, they have good they have good dynamic, they have good chemistry, they're a good comic duo. Uh, they're truckers in space is the conception, and she's a sassy female trucker, and he's a robot trucker or an AI trucker, and they and they truck through space. And that was the other show on YouTube Red that I watched, and it was utterly disposable and not as good as half the things I watch on YouTube. But then I'll also watch like a two hour Magic the Gathering draft. Right. I'll just leave it on while I'm doing stuff around the house or like I'll watch, you know, when may I watch Red Letter Media, you know, for all their faults. I still watch them sometimes or, you know, I, I, I now I'll say this. YouTube is now the main and only way that I watch Saturday Night Live. I don't watch Saturday Night Live. I haven't watched Saturday Night Live in TV in years because I've never been available to watch TV at 1130 on a Saturday. Um, but, uh, now I watch Saturday night live on YouTube in like the days after an episode comes out. So in that yeah. sense, it's, it's definitely like, like TV is coming there. Um, but I also, I don't watch stuff like, uh, there's lots of great lectures and you can watch and take courses and, you know, you can also watch, you know, stuff about cars. If you like cars, well, those things, I mean, yeah, you do. YouTube's a great place to go. I mean, those things, the lectures and courses, a lot of them are, are proprietary and improprietary players so that they can put a paywall in, in yeah. right in front of them. Like YouTube, YouTube is an interesting, is an interesting case because the deal is so crappy for the, uh, for the broadcasters, even the, the most, uh, the most famous ones. And like, um, they're, they're, they've been under threat a little bit, but nothing is, you know, oh, they, yeah, all the demonetization, that stuff is really lousy right uh, yeah it's but it's yeah it's funny i mean it's when you when you're dealing with uh when you're dealing with a monopoly right like platforms um platforms aggregate demand by providing a better experience and then can kind of leverage that to like uh 
you know, I don't know to, to lock you in, right. The, the, the YouTube video player is still the best damn video player on the internet, right? Like it's the least janky. It's the, you know, most compatible, um, right. Like a, a YouTube video loads faster on that page than a, a CNN.com video does on the CNN.com page. Right. Like, or, and you could say that of any news website or any, any site that does, uh, uh, that does, live video and like i've implemented you know um ad supported video players with most of the major vendors for uh for the technology backend for those kinds of things and and youtube just blows them all out of the water um and so that that like there's no there's no better experience but then then for that i mean it's not the thing about tv is that it's undifferentiated right like and this is the this is the um this is the thing like the steve jobs thing was famously like it's it's actually feels almost sacrilegious but like apparently like when he was near death it was like oh i've cracked it that isn't that the quote like that the future of tv is apps i i sincerely hope it isn't because like i don't want to have a a relationship with Hulu. Honestly, I don't want to have a relationship with Netflix. I don't want to have a relationship with Amazon. I don't want to have a relationship with CBS and, and HBO and things like that. Like, like I like the shows I like, you know, like I want to watch Game of Thrones. I don't care what app it is. And I certainly don't want to watch like three minutes of commercials from HBO before I can watch my Game of Thrones advertising to me the thing that I already pay for because they're like terrified I'm going to cancel it when uh, Game of Thrones goes off the air. You know, that that uh, I'm I'm probably not because there's enough on there that that I do like that. And they do they do spread it out uh, pretty well. There's probably some sort of calendar that that like you know a whole bunch of savvy marketers are trying to like figure out my demographic and like make sure that you know there there isn't more than like a three to five week break uh between you know westworld and game of thrones or or what have you um but that like uh youtube youtube is youtube right and like you watch youtube you know you don't watch any of the shows on youtube they're youtube shows even the like the people the whatever the the teenagers who make bazillions of dollars doing brand integrations because apparently selling out isn't a thing anymore like it was when we were teenagers right like <laughs> they're uh they're not they're like youtube creators right it's it's in, it's in its thing it's branded that platform, you know, that, that platform is, is branded. And like, it's it, it, to say like, is YouTube TV, uh, is like saying, is Facebook the newspaper? And, and the answer is, I mean, you could kind of shoehorn it into a yes, but it's sort of missing the point. I think, um, if you were to, if you were to say yes, uh, you, you know what I mean? Or do you think I'm way off base? Well, what I asked the question, I, I mostly meant it sort of like in a, um, in the perspective of uh, how you consume it, that lean back experience, right? Sitting on the couch, uh, watching it on the big screen, uh, as opposed to on a smaller screen. Um, I mean, you know, that's that in that sense, yes, it is television because I'm watching it on the television adjacent to all the other things. But for all the reasons you described, Matt, it it really isn't. But YouTube is Um, almost too YouTube is almost too intentional, right? Like is our Instagram stories television, you know, right? Like Instagram actually launched a product called Instagram TV, which I find completely opaque and don't know what the hell good is it because I'm a middle aged person. But but uh, like is Instagram TV TV? It has TV right there I, in the I, name. I called it that once. I, I, I have jokingly once said that my favorite television show is um, like t- 
10 straight minutes of Instagram stories of dogs owning around. Yeah, exactly. Um, right? like and dog, because yeah. I love I love it because A, there's dogs and B, there's no plot. And there's no plot to cause like me like crippling anxiety, which is often what I experience when watching like a 45 minute long uh, uh, drama on television. Yeah, I I guess what uh, if I were to say anything, I'd say YouTube isn't TV. YouTube is radio. (laughs) Is what it is. And that like YouTube is it's incidental as in like you can play it while you're doing other things. and You don't have to pay attention to it. It's constant and it it is repetitive. It's constant, repetitive. And you like the 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 videos of dogs. You know, you've seen one video of dog. You see a different video of a dog. Maybe you see the first video of a dog again. You don't really mind. And you kind of rotate (laughs) through them. And then also there's a there's like a tiny degree of interactivity with youtube wherein you could well i mean in particular with twitch right i'm gonna group streaming and youtube in together in this sense where it's like you could talk you could call in and talk to these people and and things are happening in a sort of a live way but it's not in a saturday night live way uh it's sort of an ongoing chatter that's happening and so i would guess yeah more it more replaces the role of radio for me than the role of television uh because it's not uh, it's not different. I don't know. I don't know if I would even. I guess it's entertainment. It's all. It's not TV. It's HBO. It's not. It's not. It's, I guess it's entertainment. But it's like um, just in terms of what is it about the media? Like Matt is identifying that there are characteristics of the media that are so fundamentally different that they change the nature of the storytelling that takes place. And in that respect, um, like I would rather watch. It, it even, even like think about something you would rather listen to on radio than watch on TV. Uh, and then think, well, does it make for good YouTube clips? Like baseball is great on radio and, and I don't think is as good on TV, <laughs> but it's great on YouTube because you only get to watch the exciting parts um, or you get to like or it calls out to you the parts that are really cool, like highlights in general. Sports highlights work really well. I don't know. They've, they've done really good with putting a putting a graphic of a box superimposed <laughs> over the batter. That was a it's, real game changer. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's no it's no yellow line in football, but it's uh, but it's uh, at least something, you know. I love the proliferation of gifts that happen during important NBA games where it's like a big play will happen and then it'll be like minutes or seconds and then there will be like animated gifs of that or gifs of that just circulating the internet and you can watch it, which is that's not TV either, nor is it HBO. Although I don't think it's an it's a uh, it's a if then kind of proposition. Like yeah, if sure, are like animated meme meme graphics TV, yeah. right? Like it's it's interesting because the the uh, we've arrived at something that I that I think like actually it was very much on this. I think it was on this podcast where I early on I recall having a conversation and Belinky was involved. I don't know if either of you were there, and I I was like talking about like okay like in a mature market going to a bookstore which <laughs> before they all closed right they, that's an Another thing about our media consumption over the last 10 years, all the bookstores are gone. But uh, in a bookstore, you know, 70, 80 percent or a magazine rack, right? 70, 80 percent nonfiction, 20 percent fiction, right? Um, Magazine rack, almost all nonfiction. Now, nonfiction is a term so capacious as to be essentially meaningless, but like non-narrative, right? Um, and my point at the time was that like video, uh, online video especially was not yet a mature medium because it was, or, you know, our interaction with video was, was not yet a mature medium because it was mostly, 
it was mostly fiction. It was TV, narrative stuff, TV and movies and stuff. And, and Matt said, well, what are you saying? That like 80% of movies are going to be documentaries? And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not it. It's that our interaction with video, with motion graphics, with, you know, what have you, is going to be so far beyond TV and movies per se that like it's going to enter our lives into it's going to enter our lives in in ways such that you know 80% of it is is nonfiction and that quote unquote nonfiction whatever that means is non-narrative is non sort of storytelling uh, content and that's definitely I mean that's definitely the case if you like scroll down the Reddit homepage and watch some of the animated uh, you know some of the animations the animated graphics that go down um, that go down that like that's you know uh nonfiction after a fashion and and um and it's not tv right but it is you know screen practice you know mm-hmm. if you can think of like screen practice which is a, a term from from film studies right like uh stretching back to like shadow puppets you know to to uh the like camera obscura sort of magic lantern um type of stuff and that like you know it's a, it's evolved now to like the the little dancing emoji on my apple watch you know like that that you know screen practice now now is all around us and and nothing everything is a screen and nothing is not a screen uh anymore which is depressing and and uh makes me feel old it doesn't have to be depressing and you probably would have felt old anyway so happy 10th anniversary (laughs) (laughs) anniversary. (laughs) um hey before we uh before we before we wrap it up let's um Go back and do a couple of uh, let's go back and do a couple of listener comments. So I've I've neglected to uh, highlight some on some of the some of the previous uh, episodes. So I want to I'm going to go back all the way to episode 532, the dragon bookmark, on which Joseph commented, "It's not every day you hear a one liner that you know will haunt you for ages." Ooh, ominous, right? What could it be? Joseph says, I thought about Pete's comment that the history of America is the story of Korn's quest to find a way into the human body all weekend. (laughs) (laughs) You should have some vegetables. That way you can clear it out faster. (laughs) No, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, all credit to Michael Pollan for presenting that epic, uh, that epic image uh, in the book. Omnivore's dilemma. In yeah. the in the omnivore's dilemma, there's he he does kind of slightly perversely, but he he makes the argument, you know, reasonably compellingly that corn has domesticated us. Yeah, um, everything everything is corn and nothing is not corn. <laughs> Uh, episode 533 it'll make sense when we start playing clay schultz uh writes the discussion about how drawing a foreign sorry allows you to skip the board made me think of other ways to game the board game rules Uh, i realized i've been doing this with monopoly for years exploiting the bank's limited amount of houses uh which prevents other players from building up or in in, sorry that was that was like oh you jerk (laughs) (laughs) well uh, wait till you hear this in clue i always falsely accuse a character of murder to force them to move to a different location it's super mean but it's <laughs> oh. it's not that's how you're supposed to play <laughs> they right now the guys there's a golden uh window right now for being uh extra dickish moves in scrabble because they recently updated the dictionary um and including two letter words okay and e w u 
Um, so if you're playing against someone who like knows enough about the Scrabble dictionary, but isn't like immediately on top of, of, of the game and you play one of those and they challenge it and then they lose and then they get spooked and then you can play something else like, you know, you purpose built for, uh, you know, uh, you know, for, uh, like they'd be specifically remember from the new additions to the Scrabble dictionary, such as biz jets, B I Z J E T. <laughs> and then they challenge that and then they get burned again. And then you completely disincentivize them from challenging you, and then you can start playing all sorts of crap. Yep. And then, they, and then and you can start so updating your OKCupid okay profile and your Tinder profile because you're going to be single real fast. <laughs> 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 uh, Crystal writes, my favorite game, uh, Battlestar Galactica, is both collaborative and antagonistic. It's a more niche genre known as a co-op counter-op, where some counter-op agents are hidden among a group of players working together. It's definitely the game I have the most stories about. There's less abstraction, especially if you've seen the show, and the game tends to have exciting reveals, what with players being outed as Cylons. That makes it easy to remember the highlights, like the one time a Cylon player game the system so two dozen light raiders fired on the galactica destroying the ship and dooming humanity that was rough <laughs> i love i mean i just think of these games as mafia yeah exactly right? it's about right yeah. but but other people might my werewolf might have been the one you learned first if you didn't grow up in new jersey i don't know but uh but mafia games i mean there was kind there's kind of been this huge there's definitely so much more that is known about playing this type of game than used to be did you guys ever play online mafia like where no. it would take weeks or months, like yeah. you would play diplomacy or postal chess. God, that's like the amount yeah, of exactly. Analysis. That sounds like po- the, yeah, games through the mail, right? Yeah, I did that for a while in the age of message boards before the age of kind of native social interaction uh, online within you know walled gardens and such. And uh, it was something else, but you couldn't keep. Do- I couldn't keep doing it. It drove me nuts. Uh, my brother-in-law did bring a game called Secret Hitler to the last family dinner we all had together. We got to play that, which is another co-op counter-op game. I don't think with the same. Uh, I don't think with the same degree of kind of, um, I guess, what narrative elevation above Mafia that Battlestar Galactica has, because what? sort of secret skin. Se- secret Hitler is a is a, a moral lesson in how easy it is for fascism to take root in a society. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I suppose it's more that the lesson it teaches is uncomfortable. <laughs> it's just that if, if you try to if you try to fight fascists, you'll lose. <laughs> I think it's kind of the story, which is not really the lesson you want to teach. But uh, but yeah, have you played Secret Hitler, Matt? No, I, I'm just I'm aware of it because it's uh, I'm aware of the Cards Against Humanity crew. And I think one of them was involved in uh, uh, in the design of Secret Hitler, yeah. at least one of it, them. There's there's the fascists and there's the liberals and the liberals have a majority. And, and the way that the fascists win is by convincing the liberals to enact fascist policies, which and, and by voting out people. Right. And like kind of voting out people that they think are fascists or trying to identify Hitler and kill people and, and thus throw away their majority and control over the government and hand it over to the Nazis who will yeah. bring ruin upon God's earth. Well, you so. know, her emails. <laughs> Episode 534. <laughs> boom. Kapow. John Johnson. No, that was the title of the episode. Boom. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. The Tom Clancy episode. Uh, John C. writes, the one useless contribution I have was what now sounds like a post hoc ra- rationalization. Uh, it was a claim I read that the accents, the various accents in Hunt for Red October, were reflective of the diversity of dialects and lo- local languages across the Soviet <laughs> Union. 
<laughs> yeah, nice try, John I'm so C. I'm sad I missed this podcast. <laughs> it's a nice idea, but Sean Connery did his best, which was which was my contention, right? Like that based on the the director's commentary that I listened to. Like Sean Connery gave it the old college try. Trying to do a Russian accent? Well, no, he spoke Russian at the beginning of the movie before the move where they zoom in on the lips and then zoom out and all right. speak English, which that that film did not. John McTiernan did not innovate. I think. A, a different film innovated it. I, for, I forget which now. But uh, it's a nice idea, writes John C. But Sean Connery did his best, makes it clear that it was accidental art. Thank you very much to John C. And thanks, everyone, for uh, uh, writing in on the comments section. You can go to the homepage of Overthinking It and uh, click on the show notes button for this episode. Go and leave a comment there. Anything on uh, 10 years of Overthinking It, our anniversary, which we're very proud of. And thanks very much if you've been around for all of it or any part of it. If you've uh, listened back to the old episodes, which I do not recommend, or uh, if you haven't, which is probably better for better. Don't, don't, don't waste your time like I did on the OC and Gossip Girl and uh, Nightcore. We've got more episodes coming for you next week. But go ahead and leave a comment there on your favorite on your favorite uh, shows, what you're excited for this fall season extravaganza, your memories of TV Guide, uh, or anything else that you want to talk about there. Uh, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcasts. Till then, thank you, and visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it it probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve